doesn't make you, if that doesn't make you want to come next weekend to the uh, concert, I don't know what else we could do to convince you. Um, that was wonderful. Absolutely amazing. Except I saw, I saw the ladies over here were grooving a little bit. Guys, and next weekend I'm hoping for some grooving, all right? Please. I'm grooving. Well, good morning. My name is Ellis White. I'm a pastoral intern here. And uh, this, this week I turned on, the, I logged on to the BBC News website and I was greeted by this video. Just another day in the United States of America. Another day of gunfire, panic and fear. This time in the city of San Bernardino in California, where a civic building was apparently under attack. Just another day in the United States of America. Another day of gunfire, panic, and fear. That was how the BBC reporter described the incidents in San Bernardino this week. Now we live in a world and in a nation that is living in fear. Fear that this world is, is falling apart around us. Fear that we're on the brink of World War III. Fear that there's terrorists hiding around every corner. And I know many in this congregation fully believe that this nation is falling apart. And we're left asking the question, what is this world going to be like in one, two, three generations' time? I'm left asking, what kind of world are my grandchildren going to grow up in? What does the future hold? All through this season of Advent, we as a, a preaching team are digging deep into a text in the book of Colossians. And we believe that this text answers some of the deepest longings of our hearts. Questions like, can I know God? What does the future hold? Does the church really matter? Is God with us? What hope do we have? And it's our belief that as we dig into this text, we will find hope for every longing heart. Peace for every longing heart, and joy for every longing heart. Before we dig into this text from Colossians this morning, I wanted to give a little bit of background on that letter that was written to the church in Colossae. It was written by the Apostle Paul about 30 years after Jesus died, and he was writing to a church that was under threat. This church was less than 10 years old, but false teachers had begun to come into the church and, and they brought in a, an atmosphere of fear. You see, there was this local folklore that, that said you needed to call upon angels to protect yourself from evil spirits. And these false teachers had, had come into the church and, and what they'd started to do was they'd started to teach that this was true and that the Christians needed to do it. And it brought in this, this fear into the church. Honestly, not unlike the fear that is brought upon us when we see the images of terrorism portrayed in the media. The fear that says there's this power out there that is greater than I can understand, that, that I'm afraid is going to come in and, and take me over. And so these false teachers, they were teaching the church that they needed to perform certain rites or rituals or taboos in order to protect themselves 
from these evil spirits and the, the physical afflictions that would come along with them. And I believe that as we sit here 2,000 years after this letter was written, that it is just as relevant to us today in the climate of fear that we are living in, in this world that we look around and we're, we're asking, what does the future hold? And so this morning, as we turn to this book, my prayer is that we do find the answer for our longing heart for that question, what does the future hold? So I'd love you to grab your Bibles, open up to Colossians 1, grab your smartphones, open up your Bible apps. It'll also be on the screens. And we're in Colossians 1, chapter 15. It's page 995 in your pew Bibles, if you want to open them up. And I'm going to read this morning this text that we're going to be reading all throughout Advent and digging deep into. Colossians 1, verse 15. He, that is, Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would meet us where we are, in the midst of whatever our struggles and fears are, that God, you would be meeting us there, and that you would be at work transforming our lives for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, I don't know if you noticed, but Pastor Mark spoke for 30 minutes on half a verse. I'm not quite at the level of Bible ninja yet, so I'm going to let him have the half a verse. I'm going to take two and a half verses. And, and the reason for that is a, is a little bit more. It's because I believe Paul has one main point that he's trying to make through these two and a half verses. And so we're going to pick up right where Pastor Mark left us last week, halfway through verse 15, right after Paul has said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then Paul goes on to write that he is the firstborn over all creation. And really, that is kind of like a summary statement for the next couple of verses. This is Paul is setting out what he's about to, to make a claim for. And for us to understand it, we need to know what Paul means by this word firstborn. Now, firstborn had one meaning, which is the meaning we all think of, which is the eldest child in a family. But firstborn also had another meaning in the language Paul was writing in, and that meaning was a person of preeminent rank. 
And we see as we keep reading that, that that's probably the meaning Paul was getting at here. What he was claiming, what he was saying, is that Jesus is the person of preeminent rank over all creation. Jesus is supreme over all creation. He's like a military commander standing above and over all of creation. And Paul gives us three reasons in verse 16 why this is true. And those three reasons are that all things were created in him, all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. Now, I know that in the translation I read, those weren't the three words that we used. And part of that is because since that translation was written in the 80s, a lot of scholarship has been done. And actually, the updated version of the NIV uses those three words. And I think the the important thing is that there are three different words in the Greek. And Paul is trying to get at three different aspects of this relationship between Christ and creation. So I want to talk a little bit, drill in a little bit on them and see if we can understand it a little bit more. It's quite heady, so here goes. All things were created in Christ. That is, they were created in his sphere, not apart from him, but totally dependent on him. All things were created through Christ. That is, that he was the agent through which they were created. He was the spoken word of God. God spoke and these things came into being. And all things were created for Christ. He's the goal of creation. He's the reason that there's something instead of nothing. All right, you've got that. I can see by the looks on your faces. (laughs) It was a little bit hard for me to um, wrap my head around this and and come up with a good illustration. Um, And it was actually my wife who who came up with this one, and I'm going to go with it. I'm going to change some of the words and and give us a parallel, and then hopefully bring that back to the Bible text, and and, and hopefully that will illuminate what Paul is really trying to get at here. So I want to change the words, all things, to the United States. Bear with me. And and I want to change the word him to freedom. And and now let's see what what this says and see if this helps us understand those those three words, in, through, and for, that, that Paul is using here. The U.S. was created in freedom. The U.S. was created through freedom. And the U.S. was created for freedom. Okay, let me, let me dig in a, a little bit more. The U.S. was created in freedom. It was, a, it was a totally free act in which this country was created. There was no force or, or coercion about it. It was in the realm of freedom, in the sphere of freedom in which this country was created. Okay, the U.S. was created through freedom. It was in your great military prowess and victory over your tyrannical enemies In that act of freedom that you won against the Brits, that this country was created. It was through freedom that the U.S. was created. And the U.S. was created for freedom. That's the goal of this nation. Freedom. To be a free people. Okay? The U.S. was created in, through, and for freedom. And therefore, freedom reigns over the U.S. It reigns supreme. It is one of your highest values, okay? And Paul is making the same point about creation and Christ. Okay, let's go back to the text and what it says. Paul says, all things were created 
in Christ. All things were created through Christ. And all things were created for Christ. And therefore, Christ is supreme over all things. Over all creation. Do you kind of get it now? You get in there a little bit? It's still quite dense, I know. So dig back into it later this week if you get an opportunity. But the big point Paul is making is that because Christ was so central to creation, he is therefore supreme over creation. And this is really important for the church in Colossae. Because this is a church that's, that's struggling, living in fear of these evil spirits that are out there and the physical afflictions that they bring. And Paul is saying to this church, you don't have to be afraid of them because they were created in, through, and for Jesus Christ. And he therefore reigns supreme over them. And he goes on to, to double up on his emphasis of this in verse 17. He says, he is before all things. It's kind of a a repetition, a recap of him saying Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Paul is saying not only was Jesus before all of these things in terms of time, but he was before all of these things in terms of status. Jesus is supreme over all created things. But he doesn't just want the church in Colossae to know that, that Jesus is reigning supreme. He's like high up there and above all of these things and he's, he's in charge. He also wants them to know that Jesus is at work in the midst of his creation. He goes on in verse 17 to write, And in him all things hold together. Not only is Jesus reigning supreme, but he is continuously sustaining his creation. Jesus is like the glue that is holding this world together. And without Jesus, this world would fall apart. I don't know if you've ever felt like your life is falling apart. I know that, that I have. Last year was one of those years for, for me and my, my wife, Rachel. We had given birth the previous year to our first child, Evelyn, and we had a great fall and Christmas, but then the new year came around, and things began to get really difficult for Rachel. She began to become really lonely at home and, and really homesick for the UK. At the same time, we experienced the first of many visa difficulties that year, we uh, got a letter from the um, immigration services to say they were confused about something in our paperwork and they wanted some more evidence. And really, this, this opened up in our minds the possibility of going back to the UK, something that, that we hadn't even really considered. And honestly, for Rachel, at this point in time, she was so desperate to have her mum with her, to be around family, that the thought of going back to the UK was a lifeline. The day came when we finally got word through that our visa had been approved, and I remember telling Rachel she didn't even want to celebrate. She was sad that our visa had been approved. We then had to go through the process of of applying for a different visa. That was kind of a temporary visa, and we needed a more permanent one. And part of this process 
was renegotiating uh, my role here at Chapel Hill and how I was to be reimbursed. And because of the different terms of the visa, it, it actually became apparent we were going to be less secure financially on this new visa than we were on the old one. And again, this just opened up this whole, like, oh my goodness, we're insecure here. Wouldn't things be better in England? And we started talking like this and thinking like this. And eventually it got to a point where we said to the elders of this church, we want to go back to England. We don't want to stay here anymore. And I've shared with you the story before about how God intervened and changed our minds and, and actually um, has, has provided for us to be here. And we're so thankful for that. And we went through that process and things did get better through the summer, but then the fall came around and we got a notice from the immigration services that they intended to deny our visa application. And I was like, God, what, what is going on? We just stepped out in faith and said we're going to stay here despite it not looking like we, we might be able to. And, and now this? And all of those insecurities and, and everything just came back up. I remember sitting in, in Pastor Mark's office in a meeting when the email popped up on my computer. And I read it and I sat there and I felt like my world was falling apart all around me. That November... For my birthday, uh, my wife and I went out for dinner, and I, re- I, I always like to take the opportunity on my birthday to reflect back on the year that has been. And I said to her, Rachel, this has been the hardest year of my life. Little did I know that the day beforehand, one of my friends had been arrested and charged with some very serious offenses. Things that I, I couldn't possibly believe that this friend had done. Things that, that made me question whether I, ever, I even really knew people at all. Question whether I even really wanted to be a pastor when people kept things so hidden from those around them. And the thought of these things tormented me for a very, very long time. The thought of the things that this person had done. And I, I just felt like my world was falling in around me. My, my life was falling apart. At December, we went on a vacation, and I just remember the whole week sinking into this sense of depression, this, this desire to just run away from it all. I didn't even want to think about church or ministry. I was so glad that I was a thousand miles away from any of it. I felt like my life was falling apart. I don't know if you've ever felt like your life is falling apart. Maybe your life is falling apart right now. Maybe you know someone whose life is falling apart. Maybe you look around at this world and you go, this world is falling apart. And you're left asking yourself the question, what does the future hold? Last weekend on the way back from church, as I was driving home, I got stuck behind a car at a a stop sign, and it had a bumper sticker on it. And the bumper sticker said this, got laminin, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, what on earth is laminin? Is that that a Greek word? (sighs) So I'm, I'm, I'm playing this through in my head, and then all of a sudden something else strikes me. And I'm like, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. 
seems familiar. <laughs> Hang on a second, I'm preaching on that next weekend. So I get home, I pull out my phone, and I Google laminin, and it, it gives me this, this really, really helpful definition of what laminin is. It says that laminin is a fibrous protein present in the basal lamina of the epithelia. Great. So I changed my Google search. I searched got laminin. And actually what came up was something I'd seen before but totally forgotten about. There's a pastor named Louis Giglio. Some of you may have heard of him. And he once met a molecular biologist who told him about this thing called laminin. And he said to him, laminin is amazing. Okay? It is a protein cell adhesion molecule. Okay? But he explained a little bit more. He said, can we, can we go back a second? Laminin is the glue that holds us together. It's the glue that holds our bodies together. It, it, it holds the protein cells together in our body. And so I was like, this is, this is great. In him, all things hold together. I, I could use that as a sermon illustration. This would be perfect next weekend. I'm so glad I saw that bumper sticker. But then I saw a, a scientific drawing of it. Okay? This is what laminin looks like. It's a cross. At the center of our bodies, holding everything together, holding our cells together, holding those protein cells together, are microscopic crosses. But, I mean, that's just a scientific drawing. You can draw a scientific drawing however you like. I mean, you can, it's a 2D representation of a 3D thing. I mean, anyone can make it look like a cross, right? But then I saw a microscopic image of a real laminin. Take a look at this. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How do you know that all things hold together in him? Because there is a cross that stands in the center of history. There is a cross upon which the one in whom all things were created, through whom all things were created, and for whom all things were created, stood, stretched out his arms, and made redemption for this whole world. And the cross is proof that God will hold all things together. Not because God is going to change all your circumstances, because God didn't change the circumstances for Jesus on the cross. No, the cross is proof that God will hold all things together because God was at work in the midst of those horrible circumstances on the cross. It is proof that in the midst of whatever we are experiencing, God is at work. He is holding all things together. He does reign supreme and that his plans will succeed and his purposes will not fail.
2014 was a hard year for us as a family. And in 2015, God gave us the gift of a son. We named him Ezra. You saw a picture of him last week. (laughs) Many people have asked us, why did we pick the name Ezra? We've said things like, oh, we just like the name. It was in the Bible. And we want all our kids to begin with the letter E. Um, (laughs) But here's the truth. His name came from that previous year. Ezra means God is my help. And all throughout the previous year, that was what we clung to. That was what we held on to. That was the cry of our hearts. That was our prayer. God, help us. God, help us. And he was our help. He didn't change all the circumstances, but he was at work in the midst of it. He was holding all things together. And I I know that his plans succeeded. I know that his purposes did not fail. And I stand here today and I know that we are right in the center of God's plans and purposes for our lives. This is where he wants us to be. This is where he has called us. And this is where we are called to remain. This week, after the terrorist attacks in San Bernardino, the, the New York Daily News published a headline which said this, God isn't fixing this. When we look around us at this world out there, or maybe, maybe at your life, it can be really easy to believe that God isn't fixing this. This headline was in response to politicians who were tweeting that they were praying for the people of San Bernardino. Sometimes it can be really easy to believe that, that prayer doesn't fix things. But I want to disagree. You know, prayer may not necessarily change the circumstances. That's not what prayer promises. But prayer is something much more powerful than that. Prayer is a declaration that even if our circumstances don't change, we trust in the one who reigns supreme over all things. Prayer is a a declaration that even if we don't know what the future holds, we trust in the one who holds the future. Prayer is a, a declaration that even if there's fear and chaos around us, we trust that God is at work, that his plans will not fail, his purposes will succeed. And so if you were here this morning and your life is falling apart, or you're looking at this world and and you're believing this world is falling apart, pray. Pray to the one who reigns supreme over all things. The one in whom all things were created, the one through whom all things were created, the one for whom all things were created, the one who is before all things and the one in whom all things hold together. Pray in faith. Pray in trust. Declare that he is who he is in the midst of the circumstances of our lives. And that even if things don't change, we trust in him. We believe in him. And we believe that he reigns and that he is holding all things together. Let's pray. This morning, God, we come to you and we look at this world 
And it seems really, God, like it's falling apart. And there are many here, I'm sure, God, who feel like their lives are falling apart. And we come to you this morning, God, and and we cry out to you. We don't know what the future holds, but we trust in you, the one who is holding all things together. God, we we don't know whether the circumstances are going to change, but we trust in you, the one who is above all things, the one who reigns supreme over all creation. And God, we place our lives into your hands. And we look to that cross, that cross that declares that even in the midst of the darkness, even in the lowest points ever, you are still at work and that your plans will not fail and your purposes will succeed. We trust in you this morning, Jesus, the Lord of all. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.